Welcome to Strong and Free, the podcast dedicated to providing you with the information that you need on the topics of the day. No bias, no conjecture, just facts. So, let's go. Man, the news cycle. SNC-Lavalin in this news cycle is wild. There's just article after article after article coming out. And I don't know about you, but the more I read about these articles, the more I just get more and more confused. And let's try to cut through that confusion, shall we? Well, today we're going to be talking about legislation, corruption, and bribery. Now, again, this is episode two in my little mini-series on SNC-Lavalin. Um, again, painting the picture of which this uh, of the environment in which this company operates in. Last week, we talked a lot about public procurement and public governance and the need for proper public governance in large-scale infrastructure projects. And today, we're going to be talking about legislation, corruption, and bribery. Bribery. Ooh, salacious. You know, I think, to be honest, um, many of us are actually okay with low levels. I'm using air quotes right now, and you can't see that, but low levels of bribery. I really do. I think we're actually okay on some level with bribery. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think that um, we actually expect it sometimes of our politicians. Expect might be a bit of a stretch, but we're not exactly, um, I think by and large, we're not exactly um, against uh, a local politician getting a bribe of some nature, whether it's a hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, 10,000 bucks, you know, how much money does it have to be for us to care? I think it needs to be quite high and quite substantial. Um, but I think, you know, when I say how much money or, or what it is for us to care for us, I think it's relating back to the fact that if corruption is widespread and there's a lot of money, and there's a lot of people, a lot of ministers um, benefiting from corruption, I think that's when we start caring. But if it's low level, again, air quotes, again, sorry for you if you can't see me. Um, well, you can't see me. But if when it's low level corruption, um, many of us just don't care. And again, I don't know if it's a desensitization to it, you know, insert Netflix crime drama here, but, you know, I'm a big fan of House of Cards. Uh, I don't know if it's a desensitization to corruption, to be honest. Uh, I think that it's um, uh, maybe, or maybe it's something we actually expect of our politicians and our business people um, in a nefarious kind of way. We we anticipate and expect it, either that, or we're not surprised if it were to happen. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, quote-unquote. I mean, yes, it's bad morally, but it doesn't upset us for some reason. But yet, it, it, it's all over the news, you know? The moment there's allegations against, especially a high-ranking top official, but let's just say it's a low-ranking backbencher MPP or MP or city councilor or whatever, you know, it, it occupies a lot of space on our in our news media, uh, on social media, um, on the media in which we consume. But does it lead to action? Do people actually stand up and protest a backbench MPP getting a car as a favor from a company? I don't know. I don't know how much we care, but my sense is we don't care as much until everybody in politics is doing or more people are doing it. So how does this relate back to SNC-Lavalin? Well, SNC-Lavalin is one of five companies in the world that does what it does. Last week, I mentioned the fact that 
It is one of the largest engineering firms in the world, and it operates in over 100 countries, 50,000 employees. Its portfolio is insane. You probably have driven a road over a bridge that was constructed by SNC-Lavalin. You probably entered a government building that was built by SNC-Lavalin. You probably um, are heating your homes with natural gas tonight um, with pipes laid by SNC-Lavalin. I mean, the their portfolio is insane. There's so many projects throughout the world, whether it's in the Middle East, in Africa, Asia, uh, the Caribbean, America, Canada. It, there's so many places in this world where this one company has operated. So chances are you have experienced, you have driven over, you have been in a building, you have uh, heated your homes you have interacted with an SNC-Lavalin product in some way without you really knowing about it. Um, and so up until the 1990s, Canada didn't, Canada, Canada didn't have any legislation governing corruption uh, of foreign public officials. So as you can imagine, as SNC-Lavalin continues to build these connections worldwide, and it's no knock on SNC-Lavalin, let me just rephrase that. As multinational companies originating in Canada build their networks worldwide in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, uh, as well as the lowering of uh, tariffs, the reduction of trade barriers, the increase in trade liberalization, the free movement of people and goods and services, um, as this increases in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, there was no legislation in Canada governing uh, the corruption of foreign public officials. Again, going back to this idea that we anticipate or expect some levels of, again, air quotes, low forms of corruption, low-level forms of corruption, there were laws governing that domestically, but nothing internationally. And so in 1998, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development holds its anti-bribery convention. Yes, an anti-bribery convention. Because there were, at the time, a lot of complaints about bribing that was happening uh, by companies in um, developed nations going down and doing projects in developing nations where uh, there's limited resources, um, there are um, uh, countries that are trying to modernize and move into the, uh, you know, invest more in their public infrastructure, what they've, what a lot of companies were saying is that, or a lot of countries were saying is that a lot of these companies were coming into their country. Wow, well, try saying that ten times fast, and uh, bribing their officials. And for these developing nations that are already struggling with corruption, perhaps um, this just adds a new layer. And many times, these construction companies, sorry, companies, are um, engaging in nefarious acts that leaves those countries with products, services that are substandard, subpar. Everyone got paid off in the process, so there's no real attention to quality, and it becomes a real hazard for those um, uh, that are using their, their services. And again, when you're building a bridge, right, or when you're building uh, natural, when you're laying pipes for natural gas and oil, you really can't get that wrong. That's kind of an essential service in many ways. And so if you get that wrong, it's it's a big deal. So a lot of these company, countries were were signaling the flag that, hey, there, there's a lot of bribery happening here. There's a lot of corruption happening here. The international community should respond. And so it did. 
with the convention established by the OECD on anti-bribery. It was established to create legally binding standards to criminalize bribery of foreign public officials. Now, this is interesting because it actually tries to govern the actions of cross-border movement of goods and services by multinational companies, which, again, is really interesting to see. I mean, how, how, how does this work? Well, Canada responded to this convention by creating the Corruption of Foreign Public Officials Act, the CFPOA. CFPOA, it sounds like an eye chart. An eye chart that I go to see my optometrist with. Um, my optometrist is amazing, by the way. Great, great optometrist. Um, I don't get paid for recommending him, but I don't know if I can recommend him either on this podcast, but he's great. If you want to know who he is, send me an email, strongandfree2018 at gmail.com, small plug. Okay, CFPOA. Now, Canada's response to the anti-bribery convention was CFPOA. Um, it, this came out in 1998. Now, prior to this, Canada did not have any legislation governing the actions of bribery and corruption of foreign officials. It was, again, domestic, nothing governing foreign public officials. Now, let me give you a scenario here. You're multinational X, and you are trying to build, let's say, uh, a government building in, in country Y. Um, so multinational X is trying to build this government building in country Y. It doesn't get the permits it needs on time. Let's just say that 20, fall of 2019 is when it's supposed to be finished. It's February 2019, and it's nowhere near in completion. And you're staring down the very real need of this government building because it brings maybe more public servants together. They don't need to be spread out across the city. They're in this one building. It's going to be better. Um, Frontline services like driver's licenses and things like that are in the bottom floor. Up until this point, people simply can't find where to get their driver's licenses. Anyways, this government building will house so many different services uh, for its citizens. So you're a few months away, but you know you're not a few months away. You're actually years away from it being completed because of delays and bricks and mortar and, you know, steel or whatever else. And permits have been delayed. And so uh, you might think nefariously of you know, slipping a hundred grand, ten grand, a car, whatever it is, uh, to a foreign public official. So this act really governs this. And again, the only reason this act is created is because scenarios like this have happened so many times in the past that went reported, and there's actually no legal mechanism to enforce it. So the act is re- really rests on section three, and I'm just going to read it just a little bit to get you give you a sense of what it is to cover. So section three states that every person who commits an offense in order to obtain or retain an advantage in the course of business directly or indirectly gives, offers, or agrees to give or offer a loan, reward, advantage, or benefit of any kind to a foreign public official or to any person for the benefit of a foreign public official. And that every person who contravenes this is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term not exceeding, at the time, five years. Now it's been updated to include 14 years. So what's important with this is that the the act finally provides a framework for the action of bribery committed to influence a foreign public official. Again, it's very it's a very specific act, 
And again, it's a very specific action, but the only reason these two things exist is because it's been happening quite quite a bit over the recent past at the time. And so because of that, that's why this legislation came in to effect. But there are serious limitations of this act. Now, again, going back to the example of multinational X trying to slip uh, a foreign public official from country Y some type of money to get their government building um, created, well, it depends where that act was committed. If that Canadian business person went to the country and bribed the official, the CFPOA would not apply to that Canadian business person. If that Canadian business person made reference to that bribery act in Canada to that foreign public official, but the actual action didn't happen in Canada, then the act might apply. So territoriality is perhaps the biggest limitation of the act. As long as the act of bribery happens outside Canada's borders, the CFPOA does not apply. Now, this is really important because it rests really on two existing statutes as to why this is the case. The first is the Federal Interpretation Act, which states that every act applies to the whole of of Canada, and the Criminal Code, which explicitly governs all criminal offenses and will not assert any responsibility for actions happening outside Canada. So this is where the limitations of this legislation exist. It's the fact that the act has to happen inside Canada. So if you go back to companies like SNC-Lavalin, who are operating across all these different countries in the world, if those companies engage in bribery, engage in corruption, they are not subjected to our to the CFPOA so long as the act happens outside of our borders. But if there are elements of the act that happens inside Canada, then the act could apply. But this vagueness is why these cases get drawn out in courts because it's really hard to prove when did something begin and when did it end. And now I know this might be nitpicky to say, oh, extraterritoriality, and my voice is crying, extraterritoriality, you know, does that really matter? Does that really make sense? It does because the United States and the United Kingdom have similar legislation. Remember, the anti-bribery convention was put on by the OECD. So many countries were involved in this convention. And so the UK, for example, have, has an act in place um, that applies to its individuals or organizations regardless of where the conduct occurs. So the UK Act, which is similar to the CFPOA, it applies to their individuals and organizations regardless of where it occurs. So that's really interesting. Um, It also applies to non-UK individuals or organizations that carry out a business or part of the business in any part of the United Kingdom. Further, no part of the offense must take place in the UK. As long as the person commits the offense, has a close connection to the United Kingdom, the act applies. So what's really interesting here is that the act is actually quite explicit in the United Kingdom in saying that it doesn't need to happen in the United Kingdom. It can in fact happen in the country. But so long as that individual is connected to an organization in the United Kingdom, this act applies to them. So again, Canada's vagueness on the CFPOA is partially part of the environment in which companies like SNC-Lavalin operates in. 
Now, this is particularly important when we're looking at companies that operate with developing countries and developing nations around the world. Why? Because in many of those countries, they have already been experiencing high levels of corruption and low levels of economic growth. There is actual statistics to show that countries that are experiencing high levels of corruption have low economic growth because um, when people perceive that their co- their government is corrupt, they have um, they have this idea that, oh, the government's corrupt, whatever. I don't care. I'm just doing my thing on the side. My thing on the side is earning money tax-free potentially, which leads to reduced government revenues, lower expenditure on operations and maintenance of public infrastructure, and um, decreased productivity. So people are just constantly doing things on the side because when corruption becomes ever-present, um, tax policies, regulations, that's coupled with poor administration because people just don't feel like they should enforce it as much, and exemptions. Um, many times it's loopholes. Um, so people feel like, okay, well, my government's corrupt. There's loopholes for the rich. Um, the regulations aren't really being enforced. I don't feel that I should be as productive in the society because they're all corrupt anyways. And I'm, I'm going to reduce as much tax I pay to this government by my over-the-counter job. But my real money comes from my under-the-counter job where maybe I moonlight as a taxi driver, whatever it is. And I'm making cash money. I don't know why I said taxi driver. It's just the first thing that came to my head. But people moonlight for all types of things. But anyhow, the perception of corruption, once it becomes widespread, people feel less confident in their ability to uh, uh, feel that their government is just and fair. And what's interesting here, too, is that uh, lack of trust has economic consequences. Um, they don't feel productive. They don't feel like they're their their perception of the government is is positive. It's un, the government's untrustworthy and inequitable, and it's widespread. So again, going back to my initial stance on corruption, I think again we expect nefariously that our public officials, on some level, are corrupt. But when it becomes widespread, people not only lack enthusiasm about their governments, but they also feel like well, why should I try? This minister is getting paid. They live in some gated community in the country. And, you know, I'm here out here struggling to work four jobs and put my kids through school or whatever the case is. I can't, I can't, um, I can't be, be, uh, totally upset when, um, they're engaging in this type of behavior, but at the same time, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do things under the table, work side deals, whatever I need to do to take care of myself. And so this mentality of taking care of myself uh, becomes more pervasive. Now, what does this mean for SNC-Lavalin? Well, again, operating in developing nations, corruption is a very real issue. So if the CFPOA doesn't apply to them when they operate in these countries, um, especially if the action is happening in these countries, well, that opens the floodgates to just, you know, public infrastructure projects either not being finished, uh, the operation and maintenance of them not being up to standard. Whatever the case is, they're operating now in an environment where corruption is rampant, oversight of projects might be low, uh, public belief in projects might be low, maybe politicians don't feel the need to finish a project on time because people already think that their government's corrupt. You know, all of these things play into a uh, play into um, an environment where mass, wide-scale corruption is 
easily easy to have because so many people have just given up caring. You know, they just they feel so defenseless. They feel that this government's going nowhere. Their country's going nowhere. They see all these cranes, but nothing's moving. They see all these caterpillar trucks and and no dirt's being dug up, no cement's being laid, no pillars are being built for their dry, their highways. So what's the point, right? Someone got paid off. Someone got paid off in the process. What I'm going to do is I'm going to focus myself on getting the heck out of here, try to figure out how I can apply for citizenship in other countries, and um, try to make sure that my family is taken care of in the process. So again, I think, okay. Hmm. So again, I think the environment in which SNC-Lavalin finds itself in is an environment where the legislation itself is weak when it comes to foreign bribery, foreign corruption of public officials. Now, I'm not saying that because it's a weak legislative environment that that gives SNC-Lavalin and other multinationals full reign when it comes to, oh, I'm just going to pay off this person and pay off that person. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that when the legislative uh, arm or when the legislative legislation is weak in and of itself, it points to these massive loopholes and um, leaves the courts up to just interpretation after interpretation where these court cases can be long and drawn out. And that's not the fault of these multinationals. It's actually the fault of our legislation. It's the fault of the fact that the CFPOA doesn't go far enough. It doesn't go far enough like the United Kingdom or the United States. And is it... Wow, got a frog in my throat. Is there a reason for that? Is there a reason why... Is there a reason why our legislation doesn't go far enough? I don't know. But... It helps us understand the environment in which our multinationals operate in. So what? The government's going to say, okay, SNC-Lavalin CEO, you know, you paid off this individual, you paid off that individual, you are corrupt. And to that, the SNC-Lavalin lawyers might say, you know what? This action, it happened in a different country. And your act doesn't govern what we do. As long as it doesn't happen in Canada, we're scot-free. I mean, of course, they're not going to say that. But what they would say is that none of these actions happen inside, uh, none of these allegations happen inside of Canada. Period, point blank. There is nothing our legislators can say in response to that. I mean, SNC-Lavalin or any multinational can engage in corruption and bribery outside of our borders, and they are not at the force of Canadian law. There's nothing in our legislation to say that they would be. So this is the environment in which SNC-Lavalin finds itself in. An environment where uh, contracts might have weak public governance, but also in an environment where legislation in itself is very weak and vague. So what can Canada do? Well, I think that what we should do first is look to the United Kingdom, look to the United States, and... Um, see what where our uh, legislation can be amended. I like the fact that um, the total number of years that you can face behind bars is up than what it was in uh, 1998 when it was drafted. Um, but I think that the Canadian government should really rethink the CFPOA fundamentally, and maybe the OECD needs to do an updated anti-bribery convention, and Canada needs to be a, a, an active participant 
Um, not saying that they, that our country was not in the past, but perhaps it needs to be an active participant to say, over the past 20 years of the CFPOA being in, in force, this is what we've seen. How many prosecutions? I think there have been three or four, and now there's more allegations. I think this is important because as our country and as the world becomes more interconnected, uh, our technologies are so different than they were back in 1998. Um, you know, bribery and corruption uh, is probably way more sophisticated than it ever has been. I think an act trying to at least govern this needs to be updated as well to address this real concern. And again, I say it's real concern because when this becomes widespread, then people get really upset about it. And if bribery is becoming more um, prevalent, um, maybe it maybe it is. We just don't know about it because the technology is so sophisticated. But when it becomes when companies are more entrenched in other countries around the world, Canada really needs to ask itself: Okay, do we want to govern this activity? Do these individuals need to be accountable to Canadians and Canadian taxpayers, or? Do we want to um, work with other countries and develop international treaties, legislation, some type of agreements on an international international level um, to combat this? Because this kind of piecemeal patchwork is tough when you're you're a company like SNC Lavalin and you're working across borders. And again, so long as the action does not happen in Canada, the act simply doesn't apply to you. So. Perhaps the government really needs to rethink the CFPOA and institute some type of extraterritoriality, much like the UK, to be very stringent on our companies, if, if again, our governments want to go down that path. Thank you so much for listening. This is episode two in my SNC-Lavalin mini-series. Um, my next episode, I'm still debating what to do it on, but I'm open to suggestions. So, if you really want to let me know what you'd like to see and what things you'd like for me to uncover, hit me up strong and free, strong and free 2018 at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter, the strong and free pod. You can find me all over Instagram, LinkedIn. My name is Christopher. Thank you so much for listening and I'll definitely catch you in the next one. But remember, stay balanced, stay informed. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Strong and Free, the podcast dedicated to providing you with the information that you need on the topics of the day. And remember, stay balanced, stay informed, 